everyone, my name is Shreya, and you're listening to the Harry Potter Podcast. In the last episode, we read Chapter 6, The Journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters. In this episode, we will be reading Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. And I'd like to thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. Now let's get started. Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. The door swung open at once. A tall, black-haired witch in emerald green robes stood there. She had a very stern face, and Harry's first thought was that she was not someone to cross. The first is McGonagall, said Hagrid. Thank you, Hagrid. I will take them from here. She pulled the door wide. The entrance hall was so big that you could have fitted the whole of Dursley's house in it. The stone walls were lit with flaming torches like the ones at Gringotts. The ceiling was too high to make out. A magnificent marble staircase facing them led to the upper floors. Followed Professor McGonagall across the flagged stone floor. Harry could hear a drone of a hundred of voices from the doorway to the right. The rest of the school must be already be here. But Professor McGonagall showed the first tears into a small empty chamber off the hall. They crowded in, standing rather closer together than they would usually have done, peering about nervously. Welcome to Hogwarts, said Professor McGonagall. The start-off term banquet will begin shortly, but before you take your seats in the Great Hall, you will be sorted into your houses. The sorting is very important ceremony, because while you are here, your house will be something like your family within Hogwarts. You will have classes with the rest of your house, sleep in the house dormitory, and spend free time in your house common room. The four houses are called Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Each house will have its own noble history, and each has produced outstanding witches and wizards. While you are at Hogwarts, your triumphs will earn you house points, while any rule-breaking will lose house points. At the end of the year, the house with the most points is awarded the House Cup, a great honor. I hope each of you will be a credit to whichever house becomes yours. The starting ceremony will take place in a few minutes in the front of the rest of the school. I suggest you all smarten yourselves up as much as you can while you're waiting. Her eyes lingered for a moment on Neville's cloak, which was fastened under his left ear. And on Ron's smudged nose, Harry nervously tried to flatten his hair. I shall return when we are ready for you, said Professor McGonagall. Please wait quietly. She left the chamber. Harry swallowed. How exactly do they sort us into houses? He asked Ron. Some sort of test, I think. Fred said it hurts a lot, but I think he was joking. Harry's heart gave a horrible jolt. A test? In front of the whole school? But he didn't know any magic yet. What on earth would he have to do? He hadn't expected something like this the moment he had arrived. He looked around anxiously and saw everyone else looked terrified too. No one was talking much as except Hermione Granger, who was whispering very fast about all the spells she'd learned and was wondering which one she needed. Harry tried not to listen to her. He'd never been more nervous, N- never, not even when he had to take a school boat home to the Dursleys, saying that he had somehow turned his teacher's wig blue. He kept his eyes fixed on the door, and he said now Professor McGonagall would come back and lead him to his doom. Then something happened which made him jump about a foot in the air. Several people behind him screamed. What the? He gasped. So did the people around him. About twenty ghosts had just streamed through the back of the wall, pearly white and slightly transparent. They glided across the room, talking to each other and hardly glancing at the first years. 
they seemed to be arguing. What looked like a fat little monk was saying, Forgive and forget, I say. We ought to give him a second chance. My dear Friar, hadn't we given Peeves all the chances he deserves? He's given us all bad name, and you know he's not even a real ghost. I say, what are you all doing here? A ghost wearing a rough and tight and suddenly noticed the first years. Nobody answered. New students, said Fat Friar, smiling around them. Ought to be sorted, I suppose? A few people muttered muttily. Hope to see you in Hufflepuff, said the friar. My old house, you know. Move along now, said a sharp voice. The sorting ceremony is about to start. Professor McGonagall had returned. One by one, the ghosts floated away through the opposite wall. Now form a line, Professor McGonagall told the first years, and follow me. Feeling oddly as though their legs had turned into lead, Harry got into a line behind a boy with sandy hair, and ran behind him, and they walked out of the chamber, back across the hall, and through a pair of dumb double doors into the great hall. Harry had never imagined such a strange and splendid place. It was lit by thousands and thousands of candles, which were floating in mid-air over four long tables, where the rest of the students were sitting. These tables were laid with the glittering golden plates and goblets. At the top of the hall was another long table where the teachers were sitting. Professor McGonagall led the first years up here, so they came to a halt in a line facing the other students, with the teachers behind them. The hundreds of faces staring at them looked like pale lanterns in flickering candlelight, dotted here and there among the students. The ghosts shone misty silver, mainly to avoid all the staring eyes. Harry looked upwards and saw a velvety black ceiling dotted with stars. He heard Hermione whisper, It's bewitched to look like the sky outside. I read about it in Hogwarts A History. It was hard to believe that there was a ceiling at all, and that the Great Hall didn't simply open into the heavens. Harry quickly looked down again as Professor McGonagall slightly placed a four-legged stool in front of the first years. On top of the school she had pointed a wizard's hat. This hat was patched and frayed and extremely dirty. Aunt Petunia wouldn't have let it in the house. Maybe they had to try to get a rabbit out of it, Harry thought wildly. That seemed that sort of thing to do. Notice that everyone in the hall was now staring at the hat. He stared at it too. For a few seconds there was complete silence. The hat twitched. A rip near the brim opened like a wide mouth, and the hat began to sing. Oh, you may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I eat myself, if you can find grander hat than me. You can keep your bowlers back, your tops, hats, and seek. For I'm the Hogwarts sorting hat, and I can cop them all. There's nothing hidden in your head the sorting hat can see. So try me on, and I will tell you where you ought to be. You might belong in Gryffindor, would dwell at the brave at heart. The daring, nerve, and chivalry. Said Gryffindor's apart, you might belong in Hufflepuff, where there's just a loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid to toil. Or yet a wise old Ravenclaw, if you already mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Southern you'll make real friends. Those cunning folks use any means to achieve their ends. Don't put me on, don't be afraid, and don't get in the flap. You're in safe hands, though I have none, for a, I'm a thinking cap. The whole 
hall burst into applause as the hat finished its song. It bowed to each of the four tables and then began quiet still again. So we've just got to try the hat on, Ron whispered to Harry. I'll kill Fred. He was singing about wrestling a troll. Harry smiled weakly. Yes, trying on a hat was a lot better than having to do a spell. But he did wish he they could have tried it on without everyone watching. The hat seemed to be asking rather a lot. Harry didn't feel brave or quick-witted or if any at the moment. If only the hat had mentioned a house for people who felt a bit queasy. That would have been more for the one for him. Professor McGonagall now stepped forward, holding a roll of parchment. When I call your name, you will put on the hat and sit on the stool to be sorted. She said, About Hannah. A pink girl face with long pigtails stumbled out of line, put on the hat, which felt right down to her eyes, and sat down. A moment pause. Hufflepuff! shouted the hat. The table on the right cheered as they clapped as Hannah went to sit down on the Hufflepuff table. Harry saw the ghost of Fat Friar waving merrily to her. Bones, Susan! Hufflepuff! shouted the hat again, and Susan scuttled off to sit next to Hannah. Boot Terry! Ravenclaw! The table second from the left clapped this time. Several Ravenclaws stood up to stick hands with Terry as he joined them. Brocklehurst Mandy went to Ravenclaw too, but Brown Lavender became the first new Gryffindor and sat the table on far left exploded with cheers. Harry could see Ron's twin brothers catcalling. Bulstrode Millicent then became a Slytherin. Perhaps it was Harry's imagination. After all he'd heard about Slytherin, but he looked as though he looked unpleasant a lot. He was starting to feel definitely sick now. He remembered being picked for teams during sport lessons at his old school. He had always been last to be chosen, not because he was no good, just because no one wanted Dudley to think they liked him. Flinch, flinchy, Justin! Hufflepuff! Sometimes Harry noticed that the hat shouted out the house at once, but at others it looked a, a little while to decide. Finnegan Semis, the sandy-haired boy next to Harry in line, sat on the stool for almost a whole minute before the hat declared him a Gryffindor. Granger Hermione! Hermione almost ran to the stool and jammed the hat eagerly on her head. Gryffindor! shouted the hat. Ron groaned. A horrible thought struck Harry, as horrible thoughts always do when you're ne very nervous. What if he wasn't chosen at all? What if he just sat there with the hat for his eyes for ages, until Professor McGonagall jerked it off his head and said that there had obviously been a mistake, and he'd better get back on the train? When Neville Longmorton, the boy who kept losing his toad, was called, he fell over on the way to the stool. The hat took a long time to decide with Neville. When it finally shouted Gryffindor, Neville ran off still wearing it and had to jog back aiming gals of laughter to give it back to Magdonag Mograg. Malfoy swaggered forward when his name was called and got his witches once. The hat had barely touched his head when it screamed, Slytherin! Malfoy went to join his friends Crab and Goyle, looking pleased with himself. There were not many people left now. Moon, not Parkinson, then a pair of twin girls, Batil and Batil, then Perks, Sandy, Anne, and then at last 
Potter, Harry! As Harry stepped forward, Whistler something broke out, like hissing fires all over the hall. Potter, did she say? The Harry Potter. The last thing Harry saw before the hat dropped over his eyes was a hall full of people cramming to get a good look of him. Next second, he was looking at the black inside of the hat. He waited. Hmm, said a small voice in his ear. Difficult. Very difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind either. There's talent. Oh my goodness, yes. And a nice thirst to prove yourself. Now that's interesting. Where should I put you? Harry gripped on the edges of the stool and thought, Not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? said a small voice. Are you sure? It could be great, you know. It's all here in your head. And Slytherins will help you on your way of greatness. No doubt about that. No? Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor! Harry heard the hat shout out his last word in the whole hall. He took off the hat and walked shakily towards Gryffindor table. He was so relieved to be had chosen and not put in Slytherin. He hardly noticed that he was getting the loudest cheer yet. Percy and the prefect got up and shook hands with Wrigley's while the Weasley twins got yelled, We got Potter! We got Potter! Harry sat down opposite to the ghost in the roof. He had seen earlier the ghost patted his arm, giving Harry the sudden horrible feeling that he had just got plunged in a bucket of ice-cold water. He could now see the high table properly now. At the end of his nearest sat Hagrid, who caught his eye and gave him thumbs up. Harry grinned back. And at the center of the high table there was a large golden chair, sat Albus Dumbledore. Harry had recognized him at once from the card he had got from the chocolate frog on the train. Dumbledore's silver hair was the only thing the whole hall was sh- that shone as brightly as the ghost. Harry spotted Professor Quirrell, too, the nervous young man from the leaky cauldron. He was looking very peculiar in his large purple turban. And now there are only three left to, to be sorted. Turpin Lisa became a Ravenclaw, and then it was Ron's turn. He was pale green by now. Harry crossed his fingers on the table, and a second later, bow chatted Gryffindor. Harry clapped loudly with the rest, and Ron collapsed on the chair next to him. Well done, Ron. Excellent. Said Percy Weasley promptly across Harry's as Sabine Blaze was made Slytherin. Professor McGonagall rolled up her scroll and took the sorting hat away. Harry looked at his empty golden plate. He only had realized how hungry he was. The pumpkin pastry seemed ages ago. Albus Dumbledore had got to his feet. He was beaming at the students, his arms wide open, as if nothing could have pleased him more than to see them all there. Welcome, he said. Welcome to a new year, Hogwarts. Before we begin our banquet, I would like to few a few words. And here they are. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Thank you. He sat back down. Everyone clapped and cheered. Harry didn't know whether to laugh or not. Is he a bit mad? He asked Percy uncertainly. Mad, said Percy airily. He's a genius. Best wizard in the world, but he is a bit mad. Yes, potatoes, Harry? His mouth fell open. The dishes in front of him 
were now piled with food. He had never seen so many things he liked to eat in one table. Roast beef, roast chicken, pork chops, lamb chops, sausages, bacon, and steak. Boiled potatoes, roast potatoes, chips, Yorkshire pudding, peas, carrots, gravy, ketchup, and for some strange reason, mint humbucks. The Dursleys had never exactly starved Harry, but he'd never been allowed to eat as much as he liked. Daddy had always taken anything that Harry really wanted, even if it made him sick. Harry piled his plate with a bit of everything except the humbugs and began to eat. It was all delicious. That does look good, said the ghost in the rough sadly, watching Harry cut up his stick. Can't you? I haven't eaten for nearly five hundred years, said the ghost. I don't need to, of course, but one does miss it. I don't think I've introduced myself. Sir Nicholas, the Mimsy, Popogonin, at your service, resident ghost of Gryffindor Tower. I know who you are, said Ron suddenly. My brother's told you about them. You're nearly headless Nick. I would prefer you to call me Sir Nicholas the Mimsy. The ghost began stiffly, but a stand hair, Samus Finnegan's, interrupted. Nearly headless? How could be you be nearly headless? Sir Nicholas looked extremely miffed as their little chat wasn't going at all as he wanted. Like this, he said, irritably. He seized his left ear and pulled his whole head, swung off his neck, and fell onto the, his shoulder, as it was on a hinge. Someone had obviously tried to behead him, but not done it properly. Looked pleased at the stunned look on their faces. Nearly headless neck flipped his head back on his neck, coughed and said, So, new Gryffindors! I hope you're going to help us win the house championship this year. Gryffindor has never gone so long without winning. Slytherin has got the cup six years now. The bloody Baron's becoming almost unbearable. He's the Slytherin ghost. Harry looked over at the Slytherin table and saw a horrible ghost sitting here, with blank staring eyes, a gaunt face, and robes stained all over with silver blood. He was right next to Malfoy, who, Harry was pleased to see, didn't look too pleased with their seating range. How did he get covered in blood? asked Seamus with great interest. I never asked, said nearly headless Nick delicately. When everyone had eaten as much as they could, the remain of the food faded away off their plates, leaving them sparkling clean as before. A moment later, the puddings appeared. Blocks of ice cream in every flavor you could think of. Apple pies, chocolate tarts, chocolate eclairs, and jam donuts, trifles. Strawberry jelly, rice pudding. As Harry helped himself to a trickle tart, they talked and turned to the, about their families. I'm half and half, said Seamus. My dad's muggle mum didn't tell him she was a witch till they were married. Bit of a nasty shock for him. The others laughed. What are you, Neville? Well, my gran brought me up and said she's a witch, said Neville. But my family thought I was muggle for ages. My great aunt Algy kept trying to catch me off guard and force some magic out of me. He pushed me off the end of a black pole once. I nearly jumped, but nothing happened until I was eight. Okay, Aunt Alga came around for tea, and when he was hanging out with me upstairs, window by the ankles, when my great auntie, Annie, happened with meringue, and he accidentally let go. But I bounced all the way down to the garden, and into the road. They were really pleased. Gran was crying. She was so happy. And you should have seen their faces when I got here. They they thought that I might not be enough magic to come here, you see. 
Great Uncle Algie was so pleased he bought me a toad. On Harry's other side, Percy Weasley and Hermione were talking about lessons. I do hope they start away. There's so much to learn. I'm particularly interested in transformation, you know. Something into something else, of course. It's supposed to be very difficult. You be starting small. Just matches into needles and the sort of thing. Harry, who was starting to feel warm and sleepy, looked up at the high table again. Hagrid was drinking deeply from his goblet. Professor McGonagall was talking to Professor Dumbledore. Professor Quirrell, in his absurd turban, was talking to a teacher with greasy black hair, a hooked noise, and solo skin. It happened very suddenly. The hooked-nosed teacher, looking past Quirrell's turban straight into Harry's eyes, and a sharp hot pain shot across the scar of Harry's forehead. Ouch! So Harry clapped his hand on his head. What is it? asked Percy. Nothing. The pain had gone as quickly as it had come. Harder to shake off was the feeling Harry had got from the teachers. A feeling he didn't like Harry at all. Who was the teacher talking to Professor Quirrell? He asked Percy. Oh, you know Quirrell already, do you? No wonder he's looking so nervous. That's Professor Snape. He uses potions, but he doesn't really want to. Everyone knows he wants Krill's job. He knows an awful lot about the dark art, Snape. Harry watched Snape for a while, but Snape didn't look at him again. At last, the pudding too disappeared, and Professor Dumbledore got onto his feet again. The hall fell silent. Ahem. Just a few form words now. We are all fed and watered. I have a few start-off terms notice to give you. First, you should note that the forest... And the grounds is forbidden to all pupils. And a well of our older students would do well to remember that as well. Dumbledore's twinkling eyes flashed in the direction of the Weasley twins. I also have been asked by Mr. Filch, the tech caretaker, to remind you that no magic should be used between classes in the courtiers. Quidditch trials will be held in the second week of term. Anyone interested in playing for the houses teams should contact Madame Hooch. And finally, I must tell you this year that the third floor corridors on the right-hand side is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. Harry laughed, but he knew he was one of the few who did. He's not serious, he muttered to Percy. Must be, said Percy frowning at Dumbledore. It's odd, but because he usually gives us a reason why we're not allowed to go somewhere... The forest full of dangerous beasts, everyone knows that. I do think he might have told us, prefects at least. And now, before we go to bed, let us sing the school song, cried Dumbledore. Harry f- noticed that the other teacher's smiles had become rather fixed. Dumbledore gave his one a little flick as he was trying to get off. A fly off the end of his gold, long golden ribbon flew out of it, which rose high above the tables and twisted itself like a snake into words. Everyone pick their favorite tune, said Dumbledore, and off we go. And the school bellowed, Hogwarts, Hogwarts, Hoggy Warty, Hogwarts, teach us something, please, whether we be old and bold, or young with scabby knees, or heads good to some with filling, and some interesting stuff, for now they're bare full of air, dead flies of bits of fluff, teach us things worth knowing, bring back what we forgot, just do the best, we'll do the rest, and learn until our brains all rot. 
Everyone finished the songs at different times. At last, only the Weasley Tins were left singing along to a very slow funeral march. Dumbledore connected the last few lines with his wand, and when he had finished, one he was one of those who clapped loudest. Ah, music, he said, wiping his eyes. A magic beyond what we do here. And now, bedtime. Off you trot. The Gryffindor's first years followed Percy through the chattering crowds out the great hall and up a marble staircase. Harry's legs were like Lee again. Not only because he was so tired and full of food, he was too sleepy even to be surprised that people in the porches along the corridors whispered and pointed as they passed. Or the twice Percy led them into doorways hidden behind sliding panels and hanging tapestries. They climbed more staircases, yawning and dragging their feet, and Harry just wondering how much further they had to go when they all came to a sudden halt. A bundle of walking sticks was floated in mid-air ahead of them. As Percy took a step towards them, they started throwing themselves at him. Peeves! Percy whispered at the first use. A poltergeist! He raised his voice. Peeves, show yourself! A loud, rude sound, like air being let out of a balloon, answered. Do you want me to go to Bloody Baron? There was a pup with a little man with wicked dark eyes and a wide mouth appeared, floating a cross-legged in the air, clutching the walking sticks. Ooh, he said with an evil crackle. Ickle first years, what fun! He swooped suddenly at them. They all ducked. Go away, beeves, or I'll tell Burren about this. I mean it, barked Percy. Peeves stuck out his tongue and vanished, dropping the walking stick on Neville's head. They heard him zooming away, rattling coats of armor as he passed. You want to watch out for beeves, said Percy, as they settled off again. The bloody baron is the only one who can control him. He won't even listen to us prefects. Here we are. At the end of a corridor hung a portrait of a very fat woman wearing a pink silk dress. Password? She said, Caput Draconis, said Percy, as the portrait swung forward to reveal a round hole in the wall. They all scrambled through it. Neville had legged up and found themselves in a Gryffindor common room, a cozy room full of squashy armchairs. Percy directed the girls through one door as their dormitory and the boys to another. At the top of the spiral staircase, there was obviously in one of the towers. They found themselves in the bed at last. Five full posters hung with the deep red velvet curtains. Their trunks had already been brought up. Too tired to talk much, they pulled on their pajamas and fell into bed. Great food, isn't it? Ron muttered to Harry through the hangings. Get off, scabbers. He's choosing he's chewing my seats. Harry was going to ask Ron if he'd had any of the trigo tart, but he felt asleep almost at once. Perhaps Harry had eaten a bit much, because he had a very strange dream. He was seeing Professor Quirrell's turban, which kept talking to him, telling him he must transfer to Slytherin at once, because it was his destiny. Harry told the turban he didn't want to be in Slytherin. It got heavier and heavier. He tried to pull it off, but it got tight and painful, and there was Malfoy laughing at him as he struggled with it. Then Malfoy turned to a 
hook-nosed teacher. Snape, whose laugh became high and cold. There was a burst of green light when Harry woke up, sweating and shaking. He rolled over and just fell asleep again, and then he woke the next day. He hadn't remembered the dream at all. Thank you for listening to me read Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. In our next episode, we will be reading Chapter 8, The Potions Master. Thank you for listening again, and bye!